and welcome to Cutting the Bullet in the post June Apocalypse. I'm Ben, I'm joined by Mike. Hello. And Claire. We're going to hang out today and we're going to do a uh, Anthology of the Strange, because it's been a while. It's been a while since some of these and I wasn't that fun. There's that much out there that we can't stretch into a full episode with mm-hmm. just like weird little shit. It's good. Yeah, we've got weird stories about twins, we've got fairies and Nazis. <laughs> and what an eclectic mix that is. Yeah. Yeah, and a haunted doll. What more do you want in life? Not a haunted Nazi sex doll, presumably. Uh-huh. <laughs> but let's first Unless you're thing. into that. <laughs> Unless you're into that. Oh, man. Oh, fuck me. What's his name? Mosley. Max Mosley. Former head of the paper died recently. Mm. The Daily Mail and that. Head of this news organisation. He was a great one for uh, personal um, privacy and all that. Yeah, it's because he, he got... Caught dressed as a fucking Nazi in a sex dungeon. Yeah. <laughs> of course, he wanted his privacy held. Let's <laughs> uh, thank some new material listeners. Okay, there's Rome in Italy, Telford, United Kingdom, Uzurugorod, I think, in the Ukraine, St. Louis, Missouri, Margate in Florida, Paris, France, Brisbane in Australia. Porto, Portugal, Pasig City in the Philippines, Madrid, Spain, Langley, Canada, um, hang on, Japanese listener, Suginami Ku in Japan. We haven't had a Japanese listener since we did uh, Om Shinrikyo uh, we and, and we butchered all the pronunciation. Konnichiwa. <laughs> Do yourself a favour, mate, if you're listening in Japan, don't listen to the Om Shinrikyo episode because we... We, I, you particularly. I particularly butcher every single Japanese pronunciation in that podcast. It's a shame because otherwise it was all right. Yeah. Athens in Greece. Oh, Arunberg in the Russian Federation. Orenburg. Dalton, Georgia. Bolivar, Missouri. Istanbul in Turkey. Oh, Luxembourg. Esh, Sir Alzetti, I guess. Bengaluru in India. Santa Ana in California. Toronto, Canada, Bourbon, Oregon, Th- Oregon, Oregon, Thibodeau, where the hell, the hell do you want to say Thibodeau. that? Thibodeau in LA, Los Angeles, was LA? It's not Los Angeles, because that's no, some- Louisiana. Louisiana, sorry, oh man. Mm-hmm. Ashburn, Virginia, and top is Guadalajara, Spain. Thank you to everybody. Yeah, thank, thank you, everybody, you supplementing my fragile ego. Hey, I think that's my exit number three. Uh, I should dive straight into it then. Let's dive right into it. So, the story behind the world's most terrifying haunted doll, called Robert. Doesn't look like terrifying. Oh, I don't know, man. That's little sailor suit. Looks like a wooden carving of Pob. Yeah, it sort of looks like a monkey. (laughs) I was thinking. Yeah, Yeah, I do remember Pob. Gentle eyes, that's got. Yeah. Gentle eyes with his woodworm riddled face. A nub of a nose. Oh, I'm not down for that. He just looks a bit unloved. <laughs> <laughs> no, ostentatiously, Robert is a little boy in a sailor suit. His careworn face is only vaguely human. His nub of a nose looks like a pair of pinholes. He is covered in brown nicks like scars. His eyes are beady and black and he wears a malevolent smirk. Class in his lap, he's holding his own toy. A dog with garish, popping eyes and a too big tongue lolling crazily out of its mouth. But there are some other things people also agree is true about Robert. That he's haunted and that he has caused car accidents, broken bones, job loss, divorce. I could have said a divorce one. He brings that as a gift <laughs> to his wife. 
and a cornucopia of other Ooh, misfortunes. Cornucopia. Love that word. What a word that is. Mm. I'm not using that more often. That and smorgasbord. Yeah. Yeah. Cornucopias are these introduce I think if you say that in, if you say that in like polite conversation like in the shop mm. you, oh my you have a cornucopia of goods sir people just think you're crazy I was thinking you've come to me with a cornucopia of excuses today boys yeah. <laughs> a cornucopia of snacks <laughs> do one corner what <laughs> let's bring it back now, Robert is 111 years old and lives at the Fort East Martello Museum in Key West, Florida. Uh, before that, he was the property of Robert Eugene Otto, an eccentric artist and member of a prominent Key West family. Yes, the doll and the owner had the same name, but the boy answered to Gene. Robert was a childhood birthday gift from Otto's grandfather, who bought the doll during a trip to Germany. So it's German, so it's evil. <laughs> it's German, it's wearing a sailor suit, it's got a malevolent pet dog. Oh, the dog looks cute, I think. Yeah. But it was well expensive back in the day, depending mm. on when he brought it. It probably was, but it's also creepy as fuck. Oh, I don't think it's that creepy. I yeah. do. I do. Now, Robert was a birthday gift from Otto's granddad, who got him from Germany, and his relationship with the doll continued into adulthood. That's creepy. That is. What people really remember is what they would probably term as an unhealthy relationship oh, with the doll. Oh, fucking the doll. What? <laughs> <laughs> Says Corey Convertito, curator of the museum and Robert's caretaker. He bought it everywhere. He talked about it in the first person as if he weren't a doll. He was Robert, as in he's a live entity. After some digging, the museum traced Robert's origins to the Stife Company, the same first toy maker that first manufactured a teddy bear in honour of Theodore Roosevelt. I Badass. I do want it now, because they're <laughs> really expensive. Yeah. I've seen them on the Antiques Roadshow. Oh. Yeah. My God, you're gardening and you're watching the <laughs> no. Antiques Roadshow. Claire, you're not 40 yet. I know. Uh. Robert was most likely never intended to be sold as a toy. A Steve historian told the museum that Robert was probably a part of a set fabricated for window display of clowns or jesters, which is kind of adorable, says Convertito, especially with his impish behaviour, and it kind of suits his personality as well. Uh, the little sailor suit was not supplied by the company, however. It was probably an outfit that Otto himself wore as a child. So he's dressing the doll in his own childhood sailor suit. That's Aww. weird, isn't it? He carries it about <laughs> as a talking piece, you know. Or, you know. Robert won't be happy with that. <laughs> Should I tell Robert? What do you think, Robert? Oh, no. No, no, no. That doll's just there uh, with the fucking dog in a sailor suit. <laughs> oh. Blankly. According to legend, young Otto began to blame mishaps on the doll. While this could have been laughed off as childish storytelling, adults also started noticing odd occurrence, odd occurrences, especially as Otto and Robert grew older. As an adult, Otto lived in a stately home he called the Artist House, where Robert could be seen positioned at the upstairs window. Schoolchildren swore that he would appear and reappear, and they avoided the house. Myrtle Reuter purchased the Artist House after Otto's death in 1974, and also became Robert's new caretaker. Visitors swore they heard footsteps in the attic and giggling. Some claimed Robert's expression changed when anyone badmouthed Otto in his presence, 
and Reuter said that Robert would move around the house on his own. Bollocks. After 20 years of antics, she donated him to the museum in 1994. But far from banishing Robert to obscurity, his arrival at the museum marked a turning point for the doll. Since Robert arrived, visitors have flocked to the museum to get a good look at the mischievous toy. He's appeared on TV shows, he's had his aura photographed, he's a stop on the ghost tour, and he's inspired a horror movie. You can even buy Robert replicas, books, coasters and t-shirts, and people do write to him. Three letters every day, but they aren't typical fan letters, they're often apologies. Many visitors attribute post-visit misfortunes to failing to respect Robert, or even openly disrespecting him. And they write begging forgiveness. Oh, fucking hell. Others ask for advice or to hex those who have wronged them. Convertito says that they have received around 1,000 letters which they keep and catalogue. So some of the letters turn out, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Robert, for going, fuck you, your mother, when I come and saw you in the yeah. museum. I didn't mean to call you a creepy little bastard. Yeah. You have to ask for his permission to be photographed with him, otherwise bad shit will happen. I'm sorry I got you from the wrong angle. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, can I take my photo with you, please, Robert? And then you have your photo taken. And so you've got to be respectful to him, otherwise you'll... Some people have like, car crashes on the way home and shit. People leave fucking sweets and shit. Yeah. For him. They do. To placate him. <sighs> well, that's done a lot in religion, isn't it? They yeah. Do, you know. Especially in Hinduism, isn't it? Yeah. They're idols, like, mm. you know. You know, people send him candy, got a box and eight bags of peppermints, a card and no return address. They send him sweets, money and occasionally joints. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, good. What do they do with them? They just store them or give them away or something, I guess. I'll keep the joints. <laughs> Having a barbecue on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> I was in photograph of Kim Kardashian. A photoshopped uh-huh. onto uh, the now famous Kim Ka- picture of Kim Kardashian popping a bottle of champagne into a glass balance on her behind. I remember that photo. What was the film? Scroll down. Robert. There was a film, 2015, called Robert. Before Chucky, before Annabelle, there was Robert. He wants to be your best friend forever. Oh... Creepy, creepy dolls are creepy. Well, that in a really nice tone, it could, it could be a kid's film. Oh, yeah. Be your friend forever. <laughs> forever and ever. <laughs> the opening verse, when you said it all creepy, I was like... In hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there you go, Robert. Yeah, it's just a load of bollocks, isn't it? Yeah. It's just I some know. school children that happen to... Think that he appears and reappears, uh, and some bloke. Uh, well, the bloke was moving him around, wasn't he? So, yeah. You know, he would reappear and appear. He wasn't moving him around once he was dead, though. Well, no. Unless he was haunting the place and moving the doll around. Mm. Well, if that's the world's most terrifying haunted doll, we've got nothing to worry about, have we? No, not really. I thought Annabelle was creepier. But I don't know, man. That's just the story. I mean, what, what happened in the movie and what happened in the Warren's tales of a different things. That just looks creepy, man. I don't like it. He's moving around the house in a sailor suit, giggling. Oh, no, no, no. That thing's dying by fire. <laughs> I'm going to send it back to hell where it belongs. <laughs> if, I have bad, you belong. <laughs> if I have bad luck after this, 
I'm sorry in advance, Robert. I didn't mean that. I'm not going to fly all the way to America and burn you because I've got the money for that. I'm just talking idly. Sorry, in case you hear oh, this. We both backtracking, is Yeah, he is. I used to want more bad luck. Oh, are you superstitious? Hey, this England shirt I'm wearing now is the... But the doll can't hear you. Uh, it's a 2010 South Africa World Cup shirt. Paid extra for the little South Africa underneath, right? They lost every game I've ever worn this shirt to. Today they broke that hoodoo. Right. I'm not taking any more. This is my lucky shirt from now on. I'm not taking any chances. Let's just hope that nobody that works at a museum listens to this podcast. Yeah. And plays it while they're at mm-hmm. the... I'm okay with Robert. Me and Robert are... No, you did him all the way through. I was just saying it was... It was just me and Claire said he's all right. Even the dog oh, hang on. Right. You said it was bollocks. Yeah, I said it's bollocks. I don't believe in it. But we weren't dissing him, were we? No, we're not dissing him. Oh, well. We're friendly little eyes. Oh, man, I'm going to die. I'm going to hit by a car on the way home. <laughs> but I'll get by a car on the way home. It's your... That's it. It's all Robert's fault. It's all Robert's fault. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's some people who would love to get by a car that mm-hmm. so. Right. Okay, next up. Next one. The unexplained disappearance of Chris Creamers and Lisanne Froon. Okay. On April the 1st, 2014, Chris Creamers and Lisanne Froon left their host family's home to take the family's dog on a walk through the Panamanian jungle. It would be the last time anyone would see them. Yeah, because they're two people who've got into the Panamanian <laughs> jungle... With fuck all knowledge of walking through a jungle, they got lost and died and then got eaten by animals. It's a bit creepy, this. Oh, is it creepy? This is clearly what happened. Are they living there or are they on holiday? On holiday. Okay. Clearly what happened is they got lost and died and eaten. Creamers and Froon were students from Amersfoort in the Netherlands. They'd spent six months planning their trip to Panama, which was supposed to serve as part vacation, part service trip. They planned on spending some time hiking and touring, while also volunteering with local children, teaching arts and crafts and learning Spanish. The two women have been hiking around the Panamanian jungle for the past two weeks as part of a backpacking mission trip, intended to stay for the next four weeks with her host family to a volunteer in local school. However, after they waved goodbye to their family <coughs> at 11am on April the 1st, they were never seen again. April the 1st. Oh yeah. <laughs> The women had written a Facebook post in which they wrote about their intentions to tour the local village. They also wrote they had had brunch with two fellow Dutchmen before embarking on their hike. The Dutchmen? Mm. On the night of April the 1st, the host family noticed something was wrong. Their dog had returned safe and sound but alone. The girls were nowhere to be found. The host family searched the area around their home but decided to wait until morning to alert the authorities. That's a bit of a fucking mm. iffy thing, isn't it? Well, it's normally 24 hours, isn't it? Yeah. I guess it is, actually, yeah. I guess so, in this country, if someone goes missing... I guess missing, the police would just say phone back after 24 hours. They could have been camping. Yeah, uh-huh. I suppose, I mean, in this scenario, yes. I mean, obviously, if they're with... If someone thinks they're with someone, then they'd probably get straight on it, but... In this scenario, they've just gone for a hike, and they? And the dogs come back without them. Well, you'd be worried at that, though, Well, yeah, you? I would be. The dogs come back. Yeah. yeah. On April the 2nd, Creamers and Free missed an appointment with a local tour guide who was supposed to take them on a private walking tour of Boquette, which prompted the host family to alert authorities. The next morning, an aerial search of the forest was conducted, as well as a foot search of the village and the lightly wooded areas by locals. On April the 6th, the two women were still missing. Fearing the worst, the Creamers and Froon families flew to Panama, bringing with them 
detectives from the Netherlands. Along with local police and dog units, they searched the forest for 10 days. Days turned into weeks, and 10 weeks, there'd still not been any sign of creamers or fruit. Then, as police were slowing their search efforts, a local woman turned in a blue backpack, claiming to have found it in a rice paddy along the banks of the river. Inside the backpack were two pairs of sunglasses, $83 in cash, Froon's passport, a water bottle and two bras. Okay. Alright. Also inside, most importantly, was Froon's camera and both of the women's cell phones. That's iffy. It's almost like they're fucking... They've stashed the importance. Well, you wouldn't put your sack. Would you put your phone in your rucksack? You'd be carrying your own one, you know, your yeah, own your pocket. cell phone, wouldn't you? Yeah. Then again, you don't want to lose it in the jungle, do you? Mm, it's the last true. thing you want to. Yeah, you're never yeah. going to find it again. So maybe you would put it in your bag. Mm. Maybe, maybe. Police immediately investigated the camera and phones and came up with disturbing evidence. The phones had remained in service for almost 10 days after the women disappeared. Over just four days, 77 separate attempts had been made to call the police, Whoa. both via 112, the emergency number in the Netherlands, and 911, the emergency number in Panama. Using the call logs, police were able to come up with an outline of the time the girls spent missing in the forest. The first two emergency calls had been just four hours after Creamers and Froon had begun their hike into the 112 emergency number. Okay, so four hours in, a few hours in, they're like, they made two calls to the Dutch police. Yeah. Due to the dense jungle, neither of the attempts went through. In fact, out of all 77 calls, only one managed to make contact, but broke up after just two seconds. Oh. How fucking gutting is that? Yeah. So they were lost? Yeah. Police also discovered on April the 6th, several unsuccessful attempts were made to unlock Kramer's phone with an incorrect PIN number. It never received the correct number again. By April 11th, both phones were dead. Well, that suggests that someone was mm. trying to get into their phone, doesn't it? Though the call log was disturbing, it was nothing compared to the camera. The first photos on the camera were taken the morning of April the 1st, when the women had left for their hike. The photos showed them on a trail near the Continental Divide, though nothing about them led police to become suspicious. However, the second set of photos were worrisome. Taken in the dead of night between the hours of 1 and 4am on April the 8th, the photos showed the girls' belongings spread out on rocks, plastic bags and candy wrappers, oddly piled mounds of dirt, a mirror, and most worrisome, the back of Creamer's head with blood leaking from her temple. Ooh. Right. After investigating the area where the backpack had been found, police uncovered Kramer's clothing neatly folded alongside the edge of the river. Two months later, in the same area, a pelvic bone and a foot stood inside a boot were found. Soon after that, the bones of both women were discovered. Lasanne Froon's bones looked as if they decomposed naturally, as there were still bits of flesh attached to them. Oh. Yeah. Kramer's bones were stark white and looked as if they'd been bleached. Oof. By the sun? Maybe. Police questioned the local tour guides, the locals and other hikers who had been in the area at the time, but nothing besides the photos and call logs provided them with any evidence to what happened. There wasn't even enough evidence to determine the cause of death. To this day, the disappearance and death of Chris Creamers and Lasanne Froon remain a harrowing mystery. I'm going with serial killer. I'm going with death by misadventure. They've stumbled up into the woods. One's got, you know, a head wound. They're a bit lost. They tried to make a few calls. 
And the one phone dies, the other girl doesn't know the other one's pin or whatever, they can't catch any food, one's, you know, seriously unwell. What if the one who had the head wound went a bit nuts and killed the other and then starved to death herself? Or trying to unsuccessfully call people? Maybe. The but they were like... I don't know. Well, they, they'd made, they made the calls before the head wound. Yeah, because it was the first yeah. call was four hours in, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So that must have been the point when they lost the dog. Possibly. I imagine yeah. somewhere around that point. <clears throat> but none of the calls went for only one at a seventy-seven. It lasted for two seconds. Now, if you were thinking rationally, you'd try and climb as high up as a tree as you could, wouldn't you? Mm. You oh, try and find a tree to climb to get the signal. Yeah, try and get a, get up a hill. Or yeah, high ground. Follow the water to. What if it wasn't that? What if it it was a third party? Could have been a third party. Absolutely, could have been chased for hours. Could have got mm-hmm. lost trying to call the police all the time, saying we're being yeah. chased in the jungle. But then the when they finally catch them, the guy lays out all their stuff. Makes the one. He stacks the one round the edge. Yeah has the back of her head showing and does his weird creepy photo thing and then, you know, does his does his serial killer thing yeah. with him. Mm. So the he leg. takes the photos. Mm-hmm. Mm. Why are you going to leave that, that evidence? Yeah, well, it's not evidence really, is it? There's... You're not in them. Yeah. You just took them. Mm. It's I a mean... bit odd, that picture of them, you know, they're brought... Oh, they've emptied that, haven't they? Sorry. Mm-hmm. Someone's emptied it. Mm. Was it one of them? Was it someone else? Yeah, was it the one who had the knock round her head and she starts doing weird photography? Because she's not clearly thinking. She's fell over it on a rock. She's not thinking right. Massively concussed. Or maybe he's attacked her, isn't it? Or maybe someone's attacked yeah. her. You don't know. She's been made to pose like that. Yeah. It's a mystery. It is. It's a bit, a bit creepy, isn't it? Yeah. And the bleached bones as well. I mean, like you said, that could have been the sun. She could have been in shallower water. Someone could have cooked and eaten her, couldn't they? When you have bleached bones out. I don't know. I, 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 I assume it's something to do with the sun or heat yeah. or something. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it was cannibals. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> Fuck knows. There wouldn't have been any flesh left. If it's decomposing, cannibals, they're going to eat it all. Well, the one, the one girl was bleached, the other one wasn't, so maybe they ate... Sorry, they were full and didn't want the other one. I don't know, who's to say? Maybe they just killed for their own. Yeah, it's creepy though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Alright then, uh, next one. Okay, why the Nazis were obsessed with twins? Because it was Mengele and he was a sick mm. fuck. So, this is a story of 10 year old Ava Moses. She clung to her mother amidst the chaos of the. On the selection packs pl- platform of Auschwitz Birkenau, is that right? Yeah, Auschwitz Birkenau. Birkenau, before arriving at the death camp, she'd been stuffed into a train car on a seamlessly ending journey from Hungary. Now she and her twin sister Miriam pressed close as the Nazi guard shouted orders to them in German. Suddenly, an SS guard stopped in front of the identical g- girls. They are twins, he asked her mother, and she said, um, is that good? She replied. He nodded, and Eva Moses' life changed forever. The SS guard grabbed her and Miriam, whisking them away from their mother as she screamed, and they called her name, and they never saw her again. 
Yeah, Eva and Miriam had just become subjects of massive inhumane medical experimentation program at the Auschwitz Birkenau. 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 <laughs> the program aimed solely at thousands of twins and many of them children. Like yeah. over 1,500 children. Program turned twins like Eva and Miriam into unwilling medical subjects for research into illness, human endurance, and more. So twins were separated from the other prisoners and were put in separated from other prisoners during the massive selections that took place at the camp's massive train platform and whisked off to a laboratory to be examined. Mengel usually used one twin as control and subjected the other one from everything from blood transfusions to forced insemination, injections with diseases, amputations and murder. What would the murder, you know, what would that be proven? <laughs> he just died during the, the surgery, what he was ever trying to do to him. Probably, that's what it's classed as, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, he did a lot of shit with the, the eyes and stuff like that. He had a thing for eyes, which freaks me out because I don't do eyes. You know, he sewed two twins together, stitched their blood vessels together, do uh, Siamese twins and stuff like that. And then there was a putting the arms in cold water to simulate frostbite, how long did the human body take it. All that medical data, of course, was used by the Allies after the war because it was priceless, sadly. Knowing how long humans can take freezing temperatures for is a real mm. boost, and especially if you've had it done on real people. Mm. Well, if any one of them died, they, you know, do a dissection and, That's it. and then kill the other one just to sort of. Oh, you know, you're useless do, now. Do the, do the comparison. Mm. See if their insides look the same as their outsides. Yeah. I don't know. So it's fucking... I believe he was researching eugenics, wasn't he? He's a, yeah, eugenicist. It's all about the, the genes. And he believed that uh, selective breeding uh, could be used to encourage socially acceptable behaviour and wipe out undesirable tendencies. Fuck. It's shocking, isn't it? It is. It, yeah, it is. It's I don't think they'll ever um, let out what he actually did to people. Well, because I think, I think it would shock us too much. This is just a snippet, isn't this is, it? Yeah, it only ever gives out vague snippets. It only ever does. It's, and he got away, Mengele. That was the worst of it. Fuck. He got away. He got away scot-free. He died in, like, 63. Had a stroke in the sea. In the sea? In the sea. Yeah, he was on. The, he was sort of at the edge of the shore. Just going to start swimming. He had a stroke. He so fell down in the sea oh, and he I died. I he meant he'd gone to live in the sea. No, no. No, he's not SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> Far from it. Yeah, he literally just he just had a stroke and he drowned. Didn't even know about it. Huh. Uh, he, he was in Argentina where most Nazis fled to. We'll do an episode on uh, Nazis fleeing to Argentina mm. one day. The Odessa file. Might be a movie pick one day. Mm. There's a whole rabbit hole we could go down, but I'm not going to take us down that right now. But yeah voice from Brazil in it that's a good film it is but they weren't cloning Hitler in real life <laughs> I hate to break it to you weren't they no you mean Steve Goodenberg was lying to me <laughs> yes he was and also they never tried to put his brain in a great white shark 
psychological. Yeah, so, yeah, he was, you know, looking into eugenics and, you know, a lot of it was not ethical. Oh, no, Far from ethical, you know. But these people weren't considered humans, were they? By by the Nazis. No. You know, Jews, Roma people, anyone that wasn't Aryan. You're not worthy of life, you know. Well, that was he, it. It was that was their philosophy, wasn't it? It's like, oh, you're 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 nothing. And it was the same in the Japanese version of this unit seven thirty one. They referred to the Chinese prisoners as logs. Logs. To just be opened up and carved up. They weren't even human. We we'll do an episode on that as well one day. Mm. It might be a Christmas episode, unit seven thirty one. That's about right. Well, he, he he sort of you know found out a lot about nature and nurture from these things, you know. They did. That was a sad thing. It was like... And people sort of like were sort of stood on the back of his research. Of course. We've yeah, become the, more ethical, haven't we, you know? Well, there's, the no, there's, there's, there's no like words to describe how fucked up this is and what they did. Yeah. But the fact is because of... It's possibly the worst crimes against humanity. Yeah. But medical ethics will never allow you to do this stuff to people. So the data you collect, sadly, even though it's masked in evil is actually very, very useful. Yeah. And that's the tragic part of it. Well, if something good can come out of it, at least that's something. As yeah. horrific as yeah. it was and the suffering them poor people went through, it'd be a shame not to use it to prevent suffering in the future. That's it. Well, that's what it's, it's saying. It influenced modern concepts yeah. and informed consent and medical experimentation. Well, obviously, yeah, they obviously reformed everything as well to make sure that that couldn't happen again. But... When the problem is, is ideological, isn't it? If you've got a bunch of people who believe they're genetically superior to these others, and these these guys who are rounding up and selecting aren't human, then yeah, doesn't matter how moral and ethical guidelines are set out, you can get round it, can't you? Well, yeah, it's immoral to act on human be do this on human beings. These are subhuman. These are subhuman. Mm-hmm. Only two hundred of the three thousand twins sort of survived that, you know. To the end of the war and whatnot. Mm. Yeah, we'll do an episode on Mengele one day. Mm. Be a multi-parter because it's oh, it's just crazy. Yeah. It, the yeah. men will never find out what he really got up to. Ugh, no, not for me. It's just creepy. It? It's 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 crazy. How this can be allowed to happen by anybody? Yep. Different standards, different you know, different times and. Yeah, well, we could think in the forties we were still fairly civilized, wouldn't you? Of course. Until this was, yeah. you know, turns out. Yeah, the philosopher Krishnamurti says that as soon as you remove yourself from other human beings by labels and things like that, it mm-hmm. creates violence. Yeah. Yeah. Especially giving them a badge. Yeah. So mm. I mean, bad enough between the Catholics and the Protestants. Do you know what I mean? If you're going to call someone human and subhuman. That's a hell of a division, isn't it? Of course it yeah. is. So there's going to be more violence. violence. Do what you want, then. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. Until we can realise that we're we're one with each other and the planet, then it's just going to keep happening, isn't it? Of course it is. Anyway, from Nazis to fairies, that's fairies. what this podcast does. It's kind of the same thing, in my opinion. <laughs> it's only a quickie. This fairies one. wear jack boots. <laughs> in this case, they wear little shoes. Uh-huh. It's kind of cute. Do you believe in fairies? Well, some people do, and of course some people don't, but there's where's the proof. There have been a few artefacts that have unusual origins, but one particular one that has stumped experts is now called the Fairy Shoe of Bearer Peninsula. This is a tiny shoe 
that was found in 1835 in the southwest area of Ireland. The shoe in question was found in the middle of a sheep track by a farmer tacking a shortcut. Now the shoe, which measures just three inches in length, was a mystery. Who would be on such an isolated track and the shoe did not seem to belong to a doll? The style of the shoe was one that was popular a century back with gentlemen. The shoe was passed through various hands and ended up in the Somerville family. Dr. Somerville went in the United States, took the shoe to Harvard University to have it examined. And the examination turned out to be quite interesting, but yet only added to the mystery. Fairy shoes. We found your shoe. Uh, three inches long. It'll be a leprechaun shoe. I think you'll find three inches is more like this player. <laughs> <laughs> ben holds his hands out very long. <laughs> very wide apart. So, the shoe was hand-stitched, but with stitches that would have challenged even the most expert of a tiny hand into humans. It was fitted with tiny eyelets for shoelaces, and careful examination concluded the leather was made from mouse skin. Further, the shoe showed quite a bit of wear Especially about the heel. Borrows? Anyone used to watch a borrows? Basically, fairies. Mm-hmm. Basically, the fae, aren't they? Why was it worn so clearly looking if someone hadn't walked in it and walked in it for many a mile? While the shoe remains a mystery, it certainly makes one wonder if one of the fair folk accidentally left it behind. And Is that it? it? That's it, that's a very quick one. Fair folk have wings. Are you going to believe me? Believe it or not, fairy so, shoes. So why would they be walking, like you know? And fairy, many a mile. Not all fairies have wings. There's right. varying types of, of fairies. You grow wings Brownies. after a... Brownies is one, yeah. You got your elves. You got your leprechauns. Your imps. Imps. You got your general sort of fairies who don't have wings but are slightly bigger. You should have human-sized fairies. Well, you keep going like you have. We don't know, do we? Well, no, we do. We don't know. They could, well, we multi- they could be interdimensional they beings. Could be, they could be. You know, you don't know. They could be. Interesting what the, the point I wanted to make. They better shoes. Made of mouse skin with little eyelets sewed in. That's fucking, that's intricate, that is. It is pretty intricate, you know. Well, if, if you're travelling through dimensions, bring your own shoes. What I say. <laughs> Do you know there aren't mouses in that dimension? I could be, but I don't know. Sure Maybe they've got better shoes than mouse shoes. Mouse skin, skin, mate, that'd be a luxury. It's better than rat skin. I'd imagine hedgehog skin is the most of market. It's a little, it could be a little trinket that someone's made for somebody. But apparently it's really, it's three inches long, it's all intricately stitched oh, like fairies, a normal shoe. Fair is it? Hmm? Fairies, did it? That's another explanation. <laughs> Clearly. Now my, my thing is, I, I want to make a point because I haven't got any aliens in this. Yeah, I didn't so notice. I'm going to link this to oh. aliens. Two centimetres, I might get on board with, you know, that would be intricate. But you've got these people like carving grains of rice these days and painting mm. and doing, you know. But this is in 1835. Oh shit. You're making a tiny mouse, it looks like it's been worn on the heel from being walked in. Hmm. Maybe she made shoes for a mice. Or a mouse skin. How creepy is that? <laughs> It's like giving cows leather boots and making them wear jeans. <laughs> or probably chaps. Chaps would be better, <laughs> yeah. wouldn't it, for cows? But yeah. Aliens, right, interestingly, 
before, back in the day, so 1835, before people started seeing aliens, mm -hmm. people would get taken away by strange fairy-like creatures, have missing time, and would return hours or days later. What's that sound like? Alien abduction. Mm -hmm. right, my theory is that basically, fairies and tales of such were just aliens mm -hmm. doing the same shit as they're doing now. Do the aliens are real small? Potentially these ones. We've had some tiny aliens in a, in a podcast before. They were like tiny little fairies with wings, little suits on, little grey alien heads, miniature aliens. They exist in UFO lore. The men in black isn't the UFO <laughs> <laughs> It is, well... The film <laughs> That's my take on this. I think that people who saw fairies were actually seeing aliens and that is some kind of... So, so an alien has killed a mouse. Yeah. Made a shoe out of its hide no, and walked a bit because he's got lost. I'm bored of that. Oh, there's a fairy shoe of the... <laughs> it's a tiny shoe. I'd be more inclined to believe that they all live on inside a hollowed out tree, these fairies we've just never seen them before, than aliens with their own ship have come down with that and, and made some scraggy ass shoes out of it. Well, I actually believe the aliens more than the fairies. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's saying something, right? I, I, I think it. You know, you still have them weird sort of taxidermy things, didn't they? Back in them days. I'll make a shoe out of a mouse. <laughs> they used to make a little town, they used to give them little waistcoats and, yeah. you know, were... a little chimney sweep mice and things like that. I don't know, have little right, mice. okay, yeah, okay. Taxidermy, yes, yeah, so that's just one of the shoes. One of it the looks mice. like it's been worn, it's been walked on. No. It's, it's just worn. old. It's lazy, the heel's worn. Someone could have made it yonks ago, and that's why there's no other, there's no leg and foot. Or it could have been a small person. What, a, a three-inch foot? Yeah. How many people out there, Michael? Three inch feet? What's Even the, the Chinese foot bound women didn't have three inch feet. No, but the smallest person's about. What's that? They're not three inch it's feet. Like six inches, aren't they? Babies are born with like three inch feet. No, the smallest. Person. Yeah, person. And three inches is like that. I'm holding my hands apart. Three inches. Three inches. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and not the 12, I usually hold them apart. <laughs> I mean, there's a thimble for comparison. It's a tiny shoe. The smallest person ever was 21 inches. And how big were their feet? Three inches is about right, doesn't it? Be 21 inches. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the portions are. 54 centimetres. Pretend to be a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right then. 54 centimetres, 21 inches. Three inch feet is... That, that's about right proportion, isn't it? I don't know. So it a small person born in the 1800s. A very small person. Yeah. Very stunted. Very stunted. Yeah. Who lived through, ch through childhood being only 21, growing only to 21 inches tall in 1835. Yeah. Clearly it's fairies. Fed him five pieces of grain a day. That's it. Just saying. Well, could be. Fairies. Next one. <laughs> <laughs> oh Back my to god. Nazis. Back to Nazis. <laughs> From fairies to Nazis. The sun gun. Anyone hear oh, this? Yeah, a little bit. They wanted to put a massive sort of magnifying glass in space. Yeah. Like a satellite. Yeah. Because the Nazis were well into getting into space, and von Braun obviously went on to do the moon missions and was the founder of NASA basically and he was a Nazi 
Uh, a lot of other Nazis worked for the American NASA program. I mean, Von Braun wanted a space station in the 50s. He'd worked it all out. Give it another couple of years, the Nazis might have actually got a man into space if they weren't getting their asses handed to them so badly. And doing loads of shady secret shit as well. And doing loads of mm-hmm. well, then it Nazi construction. They they just I think they just spread out too far too far. Nazi mega structures. Yeah, I love that show on Jurassic Geographic. Have you said it? Yeah, oh, it's great, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But you know mm. they were doing loads of shady shit. You they know, were. If they just concentrated on one thing, they'd have been you know. They've been. Like, hey, not killed people. Let's fuck about with making a sixty-ton <laughs> tank. Why? Well, the ones we've got are perfectly fine. Nah, let's make it massive. Mm. Yeah. No, was it? It wasn't even sixty tons. It was like a hundred tons. Was it the the mouse? You called it the mouse, uh-huh. but it was like basically a land battleship. Oh, bastard. did it have its own mouse skin shoes? It did not. It was too big. The three inches wouldn't fit in. It didn't run on tracks made of mouse skin shoes. <laughs> although that would be elaborate and very Nazi like. <laughs> Human skin would probably be more Nazi like. Yeah, it would have. Yeah. Does that be juice skin shoes? <laughs> Fuck me! <laughs> Too soon. Lampshades and all. Too soon. Lampshades. You know what? I bet some fucker did it. I bet some someone made some weird shit out of fucking people. Yeah. Sick fucks. Well, anyway, the Nazis during World War Two planned and worked on a building a sun gun, a big mirror orbiting the Earth that could concentrate the sun's energy into a single beam. They hoped it would burn anyone and everything in its sights. Like ants. Yeah. Yeah. Lands to me. <laughs> is you, saying, is that what you're saying that you believe, Mike? <laughs> no. Impersonating a Nazi. You yeah. think just like the movie Iron Sky where the Nazis get to the moon? I've not seen it. Oh, love Iron Sky. There is a second sequel coming out. I've seen it. The third one. Oh, third sequel. No, the second sequel is the third film, isn't it? Oh, of course, yeah. Sorry, Claire, what do you say? Do you think it'll burn through, would it burn through rock and brick? Yeah. Yeah. It's part of the sun, isn't it? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It would just... It you just... can't even go up. Oh, no, look, it's coming. Ahoy there. And then just, like, run into your house. Nah, it yeah, would just... just beam, isn't it? It would just incinerate everything, surely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no getting away from it, is it? I don't like it. Oh, Nazi secret weapons. They had loads. Mm-hmm. Guided bombs, jet fighters. That's what I'm saying. They just put... Helicopters. Figures with too many pies. They did. In a Life magazine article published in 1945, it was reported that US Army technology experts came up with the astonishing fact that German scientists had seriously planned to build a sun gun. The colossal mirror in space was supposed to focus the sun's rays on a focal point on the Earth's surface. The Germans hoped to use such a mirror to burn an enemy city to ashes or to boil part of an ocean. Evil sort of like fucking. They're gonna burn the English Channel away. Yeah, like James Bond villain shit. It's Doctor Evil. I'll boil the ocean. The initial idea came from the renowned rocket scientist Hermann Oberth. 1894 to 1989. In 1923, over a kilometer, 0.62 miles in diameter, powered by the heat of the sun. This super cannon in space was supposed to set fire to large swathes of enemy territory on the earth below, even vaporising entire cities. Sounds like Harry Matthews' death ray. Yeah. 
He looks like he's had a gun in his back for a bit, though, doesn't he? He looks to me like the kind of guy that would have a sun gun. <laughs> no, I think... Look, he looks he looks ever so sad. Look at him. He's he's had a gun in his back, and they're like, invent it. Invent <laughs> something. What are you going to invent? <laughs> uh, oh, I'll put a giant magnifying glass in space. <laughs> He went to work for NASA. He, was, he died in 1989. He was running the moon fucking yeah. program. German rocket scientist, yeah, definitely. <laughs> or oh, the Russian one, either way. He was, he was in one of them. The Germans even went so far as to set a budget of 3 million Reichsmark. Mm. That's a lot of money in the 40s. It is. Furthermore, Oberth calculated that it would take 15 years to construct the massive mirror in the sky. The building material will be brought up into space with rockets then mounted onto the superstructure. Whoa. Mental. He called the project the ultimate weapon. My space mirror, he wrote, is like the hand mirrors that schoolboys use to flash circles of sunlight on the ceiling of their classroom. A sudden beam flashed on the teacher's face may bring unpleasant reactions. We used to do it with our watches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh-huh. Your teacher at the front blinking. Worked on the V2. Yeah. Then he worked under his former student. Who else but Werner von Braun? You called it, Ben. Worked for NASA. Yeah. Retired in 62, though, so he was there for the groundwork. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The victorious Allies discovered the plans for the solar cannon in 1945. Detailed research revealed that the super mirror weapon was supposed to orbit the Earth at a distance of about 35,000 kilometres, that's 22,000 miles. A crewed space station with docking units for supply rockets, oxygen generating hydroponic gardens and solar powered generators was going to form part of the space mirror. The Allies were astounded by the scale and detailed nature of the plans. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently there was the whole Archimedes thing, wasn't there? Mm. Where he burnt the enemy's ships at the gates, yeah. at the walls of one of the city by setting up a massive fuck-off mirror and focus the sun on him. There's no proof you can actually do that, but if you got one in space... They did it on Mythbusters. They did, but they could never quite figure out if he was if he could do it or not. Mm. It was like left in, it was left undecided. Yeah, because they did it on miniatures, didn't they? That's it, and it might make life very uncomfortable for the crew on board, which would make them pull away... Yeah, blinding well, lights. Well, it? Whether it would like set the ships yeah. on fire is it a different, different thing. Combined with flaming arrows, it might work. Maybe. I think flaming arrows tend to set wooden ships on fire. Mm-hmm. It's ambitious. On a final note, the veracity for the planning of the sun gun can again be seen in Herman Oberth's interview in 1961. This time, he promoted the space mirror's peacetime attributes. <laughs> yeah. I don't want a death mirror I want a peace mirror in the sky yeah. yeah because when you put a giant mirror in the sky that can focus the sun's rays into a fucking massively intense death beam you're going to use that for peaceful purposes aren't you <laughs> yeah yeah you would you wouldn't use it to subjugate the human race would you nah nah I would by the way guys I've got a massive mirror hello UN is that the UN yeah shut up I've got a, I've got a massive mirror in space, and if you don't do what I say, I'm gonna burn Paris to the ground. And they go, well, all right, whatever. No, but no, unfortunately, you've used an unsecured line. We've tracked your location, and fighters already in. <laughs> then I burn Paris to the ground to show it, and they're like, oh, maybe he just burned down in itself. Like, we can't take that chance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been using it during PE 
these time efforts, they're tilting it just a little bit so you get a bit of warm weather on a bank holiday. No, oh, that'd be nice. <laughs> but I don't trust the people that are going to be in charge. Or a mechanical failure and it just burns. Exactly. What if, what if the gears just come to a grinding halt and just turn the UK into a nuclear wasteland? Yeah. That's more likely to happen. Yeah. And what peaceful things can it do? Well, that's it. I'm just saying, like, you know, bank holiday, we'll turn it a little bit, give them a bit of heat, and it's their mm. bank holiday on next Monday, we'll just help them out a little bit. Ooh, it'll be lovely. <laughs> could you actually stop the Earth going into darkness? So it'd be a permanent day. Depends if you could manoeuvre the satellite. The mirrors to sort of bounce the light onto the dark side of the Earth. It's, yeah, where it's I guess you could if you sun. positioned it that way, yeah. yeah. If you could position it, which I assume yeah. you would want to. You want that. Fascists that want to work you to death. <laughs> <laughs> it's always daytime, you've yeah. got to work. <laughs> I think the Muslims are like that during Ramadan. Right? No. Oh, no. Well, well, there you go, you've just, you've just genocided the Muslim religion, haven't you? The Islamic religion by your never doing Ramadan. They've all just like, oh, it's not Sunday, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Terrible. It's only for bad. Trump could have done that. He could have well, done it, wouldn't he? Muslim ban. I'll show you I don't think he'd bag. genocide six billion, sorry, a billion Muslims though, Mike. Why not? It was a bit much, innit? I wouldn't put it past him. I wouldn't put it past any American president. What? Joe? <laughs> Joe? He'd just forget and just do it, wouldn't he? He'd lean on the wrong button. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't meant to do this. Oh, what did you say earlier, Claire, that the, all the British sort of staff at the, the G7 meeting had like their... Their jobs on the on sewn into their sh- suits. Oh yeah, I saw a picture of Boris Johnson with a you know like a jacket. And he's at, like you know waiting for the plane to arrive, and he's got prime minister. And then like you know the other one's got defence secretary on his top. And I'm just like, what? Why do they need to be labelled up for Joe Biden? <laughs> well, I mean maybe he just can't remember that many names anymore, <laughs> or faces. Maybe he doesn't know who any of it is, no Boris is. Mm. <laughs> he's like, I've heard he's a blonde idiot. Eh, I'll pick him out. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I don't like this idea of a sudden gun. Right. I'd nuke it. <laughs> I'd nuke the sun. It didn't come to fruition. And I think that's for the best. Yeah, you oh, know yeah. what Nat is with sun guns? No. Right then, last one. We're back on to twins. I've kept my twin vibe going. Mm. So the twin articles about twins, I like yeah. it. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> the extraordinary life of the silent twins who spent 12 years locked inside Broadmoor. Oh, Is Broadmoor the UK's premium mental facility? It, it was in the... I don't think it's in operation now, is it? It may well still be. I'm not on mm. I'm unsure, it, but it was... Not just a mental facility, mental... Prison, isn't it? Facility in it. Yeah. For the criminally yeah. insane, is it? Yeah. It's the one that Jimmy our old Savile. mate Jimmy Savile <laughs> had, had the keys to for some reason. Fucking what? Yeah. So Abusing I'll... mentally disabled people. Oh my god. So there's a chance that they, you know, come across him, haven't they? Yeah. Maybe. So. Oh, he would have loved a bit of twin action, wouldn't he, Jimmy? Jimmy Mengele. I don't know, they have to know how old they were when they got in there. So, Jimmy Savile, we would have crossed Jimmy Savile with Joseph Mengele. Yeah, I want to Jimmy Mengele. Oh my god. I want to make the ultimate monster. I'll rape you before I dissect you. 
I'm Jimmy Mangalo. <laughs> now then, now then. <laughs> twins this side, non-twins the other. <laughs> yeah, I want to create... And then he does a Nazi salute. Yeah. And he's wearing SS uniform. And his juice skin shoes. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I want to jeans guys the ultimate monster. <laughs> Oh, I'll be terrified. <laughs> that, that's playing God too much, that is. I couldn't. Someone needs to step in and stop me. <laughs> right, moving on. June and Jennifer Gibbons communicated only with each other in their own secret language, but in the Pembrokeshire bedroom, they uh, poured out their thoughts into novels and poems before a crime spree saw them sent to a Broadmoor secure hospital. And they were smart and religious. Yeah. Oh, they inspired a Manic Street Preachers song. Did they? Apparently so. So they even um, excluded their parents and their siblings. Wow. So they spent their 20s locked away in um, Broadmoor High Security Hospital. The extraordinary story of the twins inspired yeah, the Manic Street Preachers. Which song was it? I don't know. I assume it'll tell us. And raised some difficult questions about how they were treated by the authorities. So I suppose they were just stuck in there because they just wouldn't they wouldn't talk, you see. Yeah, and the crime spree. Yeah. I know what song it was, Kevin Carter. No your brother. <laughs> <laughs> twin brother. It was it my twin oh. brother. Yeah, it's Ben Carter, isn't it? Oh well, yeah, but <laughs> Kevin Carter was a photographer. I'm trying to say that you're a twin from Broadmoor. Alright, oh, okay. No, I killed my twin in the womb. Oh yeah, okay. Made sure that couldn't get over. <laughs> <laughs> so their parents, Aubrey and Gloria Gibbons, came to Britain from Barbados in the 1960s. Aubrey joined the RAF and was posted overseas in a military hospital in the British colony of Aden. Yep. And that's where the twins were born. April 11th. April 11th, yeah. 1963. No one could have foreseen how their lives would develop. It was more like one of the workings of uh, imagination and fiction. The pair would go on to read and write and uh, a real life tale so they were totally inseparable and they wouldn't te- talk to the teachers their classmates uh, they talked to their dolls as well oh nice well that's okay but they started withdrawing from their family and creating an ever deepening bond and a secret language that no one could understand god that's gonna be fucking annoying hasn't it how was your day girls and they just start going doing sign language and chitting away to each other. You're like, oh, okay, my kids are crazy. Well, they they were like bullied at school, and I'm not surprised. They're talking to dolls in their they, own language. I think they were bullied because they were black. No, I think they yeah. were bullied because were they bullied before or yeah. after creating the secret language? No, I think they were bullied. And then created it. They they were just quiet lasses. They were bullied, and then they decided, you know, we don't want to. Terrible, isn't it? Yeah. All oh, right, so they're not just mental then. No, they just become. My phone just fell in my pocket. They've just <laughs> received, you know, emotional trauma. Yeah. This is their way of coping, isn't it? Mhm. It's a little bit mental though, isn't it? What? That well, they yeah. went all quiet. Making your own language and everything, even stopping communication with your family. I think that's that's a bit extreme, isn't it? You know, stopping communicating with your family, but you know, making your own language and not really. Maybe they only felt it. yeah, they only felt safe between each other and they couldn't trust anyone else. I mean, well, it's pretty sad, isn't it? It is sad. Well, it's tragic, but it's still a bit mental. Black twins were an unusual sight in in Wales in the nineteen seventies. Well, that's very true. Yeah, I'd imagine they're the only black people in the village. Yeah, yeah. 
Along with the only gay. Yeah. yeah. The only gay in the village. No one even took the time to figure out what was happening. So in 1974, when the girls were age 11, their father was transferred to an RAF base in Pembrokeshire and the family moved to the Fursey Park housing estate in Hartford West. Haverford West. Haverford West. Yeah, I've seen that football ground. Yeah. Wow. Drove past it on the way to so, Fishguard, I think it was. Wow, what a day out that must have been <laughs> in sunny Fishguard. It was actually a week in a cottage. Oh was my, oh, was it? Yeah, it was beautiful. Really enjoyed it there, yeah. First time I had battered mushrooms. Ma- no, battered, battered Mars bar. All right, well. In a Welsh fish shop in Fishguard. Wow. Even though it's a Scottish dish, I've, uh, I've been to Scotland and I've had it in Scotland, but I had it in Wales, it was lovely. Well, there you go, you want a battered Mars bar, go to Fishguard. Yeah. You heard it here first. So these uh, girls refused to read and write, and it wasn't until 1976 a medic at the school that was giving them like, a TV jab sort of raised the flag so to speak <laughs> hey these kids aren't talking English and they're doing weird sign language yeah they just them off to a secure hospital well is that it they're just like oh well off they trot to Broadmoor he contacted a child psychiatrist yeah. he said nah they're fucking mental send them to Broadmoor yeah wow no they were sent to the Eastgate Centre for Special Education in Pembroke ah and a speech therapist at Withybush Hospital. Mm. They worked out the secret language, a mixture of Barbadian slang and English, spoken very quickly. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. In 1977, this decision was taken to try and separate them to see if they would open up. June was sent to St David's adolescent unit, but responded by apparently stopped moving altogether. She would, on occasions, just lie in bed at the residential oh centre. Oh, gosh, like, what do you call it, catatonic? Yeah. Yeah, it's when, you know, you just can't sort of live anymore and you haven't got any motivation whatsoever. Staff who treated them referred to the relationship as controlling because they reunited them at um, somewhere called Eastgate. I'm assuming that's another hospital. Yeah, it's yeah. in Pembroke. Yeah. Special education. They referred to the relationship as controlling, though it was not clear which one was controlling the other. And even if one twin was possessing the other. Oh, creepy as fuck. Possessing? Yeah. Whatever the case, nobody seemed to be able to get through to them. They remained silent, save with their twin, and would often communicate with each other in the presence of others simply by eye gestures. Jesus Christ, eye gestures? It's just like, hey, blink, blink away. Fucking hell. Journalist and mental health campaigner Marjorie Wallace described the relationship as a sinister childhood game that got out of control. <laughs> really? Wow. Fuck me. Not surprised. Out of control. Just a oh, little bit. It's weird, read that, can She said they had rituals where they decided between them which one would wait first, which one would breathe first, and which one the other one wasn't allowed to breathe until the first one had like, breathed. Yeah, wow. yeah. You've got to hold a breath until the first one breathes. It was like some childhood sinister game that got out of control. When the girls turned 16, um, they returned home to... Haverford West. Haverford West. Their extraordinary bonds um, seemingly as strong. I'm assuming that's when they... um, Started their their crime spree. Yeah. So while they refused to communicate with the outside world... 
It seemed they poured out their thoughts in the written word. Police would later discover a vast quantities of diaries, essays, poems, short stories and novels written by the girls. One of June's books, Pepsi Cola Addict, about a student being seduced by a teacher, was self-published. In one diary entry about the sibling's relationship, Jennifer wrote, We have become fatal enemies in each other's eyes. Oh dear God, it was getting nasty now. Hmm. We feel that irritatingly deadly rays come out of our bodies, stringing each other's... Stinging. Stinging each other's skin. I say to myself... Can I get rid of my own shadow, impossible or not possible? Without my shadow, I would die. Without my shadow, I would gain life, be free or left to die. Without my shadow, I would identify with a face of misery, deception, murder. Crikey. Yeah, that's pretty fucking deep. Mm. So in uh, 1981, they discovered alcohol, drugs and boys. Less than a year later, they'd be uh, locked up again in a psych- well, in a psychiatric hospital. Uh, oh, I'm not why to try and date one of them. Yeah. That's it, innit? Hey, how could you? You couldn't, could you? They don't communicate with you, just communicate with each other. I'm dating twins. <laughs> <laughs> You're dating both of them. Some might call that a result. Yeah. So they went on a five-week spree of vandalism, burglary, theft and arson. In Haverford West. And they oh, tried well. to burn down the Pembrokeshire Technical College. Not the Pembrokeshire Technical College. <laughs> oh no! So yeah, they. Pe- Please tell me it was okay. Well, I think so. I don't know. Try- it says tried. Yeah, that's uh, okay. Slightly singed. Yeah, they pleaded guilty and. Uh, Sixteen counts of burglary, theft, and arson. Yeah. Fucking hell. Swansea Crown Court in 1982 was sentenced under the Mental Health Act. To indefinite detention at Broadmoor. Yeah, and that's where you've got to sort of prove, you know, that you're stable enough to, you know, be let out into the streets again, I, I guess. I don't think they're going to. They've made a number of attempts to gain their release over the years, even apparently rise to the Queen. Yeah. They're crazy. Yeah, it's terrible, really, isn't it? Their lives were destroyed. It is. They weren't treated at an early enough age. And well, it's, it's even worse, because, mm. I mean, they, 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 at least they write. The one writes, Jennifer writes, what a senseless, degrading havoc I have made in my poor, sweet human life. Oh, God, it's tragic. However, despite their copious diary entries, they were heavily medicated at Broadmoor, and their creative writing, their poetry and short story writing dwindled. Oh. Oh. They doped them up. The decision was made, however, to move to a medium security unit close to home. In 1993, in the morning of March 9th, they boarded a van from Berkshire, but on arrival, Jennifer was known to be physically weak and unwell. She was rushed to the Princess of Wales Hospital in Bridgend, but died at 6.30pm that evening. Uh, she was 29 years old, and the post-mortem exam revealed an undiagnosed myocarditis inflammation of the heart. Oh. 29 years old. Oh, no. Yeah. The sister went on to rebuild her life. Well, that's something. Wales. Not sure I'd want to stay in Wales after how they've treated me. After all that. No. I don't know. It's tragic. It's, I think they hated each other, really. In, in a way. Yeah. Mm. Tormented uh, each other. The song was Tsunami. Oh. Still the silence and tsunami, tsunami, come washing over me. Never heard of it. No, 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 I have. 
Well, I'm the cultured one here. Mm-hmm. Have a culture hat too. Mm-hmm. Have yeah. a culture hat. Mm-hmm. I even watched the operatic opening of Euro 2020. Did you? Yeah. That's quite good, good actually. Yeah, it? it was. Yeah. <laughs> always raises a. It was on in the front room. Always raises a. Like a tingling on the back of my neck when I hear an opera song. Well done. Tingling your balls then. It does that too. <laughs> <laughs> and on that bombshell. And on that bombshell. <laughs> Should we end the show? Yeah. So thank you very much for listening to our anthology of Strange. I've been Ben. Don't drink the flavour aid. Don't join a cult. I've been Mike. Thanks for listening. Peace out. May the force be with you. And I'll be fair. Keep no mind, but not so good. Yeah. Like this.